Says Show. I'm your host, Tori. And today is January 1st, 2021. Uh, it's a new year. And like always, my New Year's Eve and New Year's Day shows tell you everything you need to know of what is coming and what has passed. And that is drawing from the past, we can see what's coming always. So yesterday, my show was to introduce you to a concept um, that's very hard for a lot of people uh, to uh, conceive. Out of great love, you show another distress and misery and allow them to use their free will in order for them to understand what it really is. Now think of it as, it's not tough love, right? Think of it as actual love. You can tell a child that their fingers in a socket will cause them to be electrocuted, right? And you can put as many covers as you want to protect them. But in the end, the child will only know the consequences when they put their fingers in the socket. Every parent's job is to protect their children. I have struggled with um, balancing my work, my mission in life, and being a parent. So I would hypothesize uh, that uh, the ultimate father and creator of all uh, would not struggle, but breathe that, um, I would like to say, um, mission as parents to all of us at some point. So I have mentioned over the past couple of years to you how important frequencies and, and words are and how redefining things helps skew the reality construct that you are in. Definitions and words are very, very important because they are the mode of communication. This is the mode that you communicate on. You don't telepathically talk to each other. You don't emotionally speak to each other. You cannot teleport your thoughts or feelings into another. You use words which carry on frequencies that stimulate every little facet of you. So, as I mentioned yesterday, disappointment is a very big motivator. And disappointment can make or break people. Will you push past uh, that feeling of defeat or will you accept defeat? Uh, and disappointment is, in essence, realizing that something has failed to meet your expectations, right? It doesn't mean you failed. It means the expectations you had have failed you. The reality that you have constructed have failed you. And language is quite important. Um, actually, very, very important. And the perception of the reality uh, assists with that. Trials and tribulations that we go through as people in our personal life spill out to those around us. It's a ripple effect. And a tribulation is none other than distress or uh, suffering because you feel oppressed or you're being persecuted. In our nation today, we're seeing a lot of persecution among us. So 2021 
will be a year where you become a hero. Now, it doesn't mean that you're going to be wearing a cape. You're going to be the hero of your own reality. It's, um, you don't need a leader uh, to take you into battle. You don't need uh, someone to guide you. You need to be one of those that would enter into it yourself. That's uh, usually how that plays. You must be humble and selfless. You must inspire others and feel confident as that is how you move forward. And you know, you can't be brave and you can't fight for something if all you've had is wonderfulness and no threat to that wonderfulness. Confidence is knowing that you've won this war before it even started. Uh, and, and that is key. Many people lack the ability to understand you don't start something to lose. You don't go into battle with anything when there is a prospect of any failure. Anything you put as a goal should be a goal. Now, there may be, indeed, uh, some aspects that may come into play to deter you, veer you off your path to achieve that goal. Understood. But you don't enter into something with a possibility of failure, ever. So the one thing you should tell yourself is failure is not an option. And this comes through your determination. Nothing is impossible. Possibility lies within you and how determined you are to get it done. And the only person that can tell you that you have failed is that little nagging, stupid little voice inside you that's the actual tyrant that tells and that tells you, oh, maybe, maybe you can't. Maybe you won't. Franklin D. Roosevelt had once said, when you come to the end of your rope, tie a knot and hang on tight. And that's exactly what all of you should be doing. But even though you know what you are striving for in your personal life and in your community and for your nation, you must understand one thing. Perception, mm, I don't want to say perception. The driving force is what's key. Everything that I've done in my life has always had a driving force. The driving force could have been like, damn, I want a new car. Driving force could have been like, oh, I want to make my boss proud. Or I'm doing this uh, because I want to be the best. I want to beat this person. Or I'm doing it for money, right? But when you do something uh, selflessly, you're told that you never receive the fruit of the rewards of such servitude. And that's false. That is very false. And they also tell you that the only way to preserve something that is priceless 
is through sacrifice. That's also a lie. That is also a lie. So when you do, do something selfless and don't expect people to know about it, you just do it, you will see the fruits of that action, regardless what anybody tells you. And for anyone to tell you that you can only save something precious by sacrifice is also a lie. These are words that they have told you many, many times again. Now, one thing I can say is the reason that our president is so great, President Trump is so great, is because he doesn't stand above the people. He stands with the people. That's what a hero is all about, too. And those are all the qualities that a hero has. They have humility, standing with people. They're brave, right? Because they know what's at stake. They're confident. And they work with selflessness. So it's very important for 2021 for you to understand that don't wait for Captain America with a shield. Don't wait for Superman in a cape. Damn, put your own damn cape on. Put your own damn shield on because you're a giant and they are not. You're the one that yields power. Nobody else does. You are the storm. You are the force that needs to be reckoned with. And in order to understand that, I want to show you that the position our nation is going to be in this month, which is going to be one of the most testing months of this year, has happened before. You were just not paying attention. You know, yesterday was New Year's Eve, and usually there's people in Times Square, you know, cheering and waiting for this Chinese ball to drop. <laughs> China, 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 China. And then you have Don Lamont, who gets super drunk and talks smack. With Anderson Cooper, who I can't stop remembering in that latex getup with a guy on a leash. Can never get that out of my mind. Sorry, ever. But yesterday, de Blasio had shut down New York City while he and his wife danced on stage. <laughs> and her mask had nothing but that weird symbol the FBI <laughs> refers to as evil. Not only that, yesterday we had... Josh Howley announced that he will be standing against and objecting for the electors on January 6th. And who reared their head? Walmart. Go ahead. Get your two-hour debate, sore loser. Wait a minute. Have you seen that movie before? Because I've told you what you're watching is a movie. It is a movie. Huh. It's a definite movie. This has happened before. So in this year that has passed, as I said, it was the year of the boomerang 2020. Told you all the major players. Now I'm going to tell you, Crown Prince Solomon will fall. Turkey will fall. Russia has already made that decision. We need not worry about that. And we see it from Yemen. Iran has been weaponized. Remember this. And the wall that we have yet to complete, yet to complete, they will try 
to use that against us. So this year that's coming will be a year of disappointment and betrayal. And that will be the tribulation. But this is the hero's year. And heroes always manifest. Absolutely always manifest in troubled times only. You have to understand the movies you've watched of those dystopic futures where the corporation runs everything <laughs> have been happening under your nose and you haven't been paying attention. Remember, they tell you what to think. They tell you how to see things, how to breathe, how to walk, how to talk, right? We know this. But you have to remember, I am the system. You are the system. We, as a people, are the system of the United States of America. And in order to form a more perfect union, we choose love. We do not choose power. Our system that has been in place has been extremely flawed. As I said, as a woman, having that document with the ink not even dry yet, they had already planned out of many, now one. See, I've mentioned it over the years. Pay attention to their symbols. Pay attention to their flags. Pay attention to their words. They tell you everything you need to know. Goodness always precedes greatness. And we see so much good today, even with all that that is evil. And why do I say this to you? Because even though heroes emerge at a time of troubled times, I would say, it's important to understand how the power of your words, the power of sound work. Okay? So many of us can watch a video and listen to music and feel something. Many of us can uh, hear something, read something, and feel something. Well, I want to explain to you what the power of sound does. See, I had, um, I have been saying this for a very long time. But sound changes everything about us. It changes the way we behave. So unconsciously, we often move. We groove to music. We boogie. Uh, we have like this um, thing about it where sounds move parts of our psyche, our soul. They touch us in a way that we feel things. Have you ever noticed that you go into a store and there's music playing? Have you ever noticed um, you're in a car and uh, the minute you flip the switch to a specific song, uh, you feel something? Have you ever heard talk radio where you're listening to someone, but they're just pissing you off? Or their voice, you can feel that they're ingenuine. See, sound is a frequency. And today we're going to walk through that frequency in the first hour so you understand how important words we say and we hear and we convey works. Because I know a lot of you have been asking me 
for the past two years. Let's talk about 5G. We have been. You just haven't been paying attention. My music choices are very simply after this first hour. Because in the first hour, we're going to do some self-care as citizens entering into this year that's going to be so insane, so discombobulated, you will lose the floor from under you. You will not understand if you're standing, sitting, lying down, in a cartwheel. You won't know anything. You'll be weightless in the middle of space, not understanding anything. So... When you feel like that, I want you to go back to my January 1st episode and listen to it so you can understand it. All right. So, like I said, sound does everything. You know, there's a whole uh, group of people that work. They're called sound agencies. They work with uh, uh, malls and Walmarts and, and, and news stations and retailers, McDonald's, the whole nine yards. Because if you're in a store and there's some bad music uh, or something that hits people the wrong way, they, they leave. They don't want to buy anything. So you need music that keeps them calm. Like in an elevator, you're in a closed space, right? Uh, you're with um, you know, people you don't know. Uh, they usually play what do we call elevator music, which is annoying, calming music. We all know that music. So sound is very important because it changes our behaviors. We do not, not like something called cacophony. Fun fact. Do you know why when a couple is driving, uh, the man feels that if his wife is talking to him, or, you know, that, you know, she is um, nagging. Do you know why? Well, it turns out that the right ear in males, and the right ear is very, very important. I mean, you won't live to see it. If you're listening to me, you won't live to see why. But the right ear, the inner ear of, on, your, on the right side, is quite important. When you are busy completing tasks and you have someone on your right talking to you, it is interpreted as cacophony. So they could be whispering sweet nothings in your ear and you will receive it as something hostile, nagging, and it just makes you irritated. Hence why a lot of people, when they speak on the phone, they intuitively put the phone on their left side of their head. It's almost as if you know but you didn't. Well, now you do. There's science behind that. Uh, how many times have you uh, been to um, a store or a restaurant and you suddenly uh, don't feel good because the music in the background is just cacophonic, right? You just want to go home. You're just like tired. You're just like, yeah, I just want to leave. And, you know, that's basically what it, what it is. It's a, uh, you won't stay somewhere where you can feel the vibration is messing you up. Sound is, is quite important. Uh, it's, it's very important how it's conveyed, how it comes through. This is why in advertisements and music videos and news, they use things. So sound affects you in many ways. 
So one, uh, you know, if your ears are always on all the time, you're always hearing things even when you sleep, right? So this is why we can hear drops of water, um, you know, and interpret things while we sleep. Right? How many of you have had that dream where a phone's ringing in your sleep and you're, you're in your dream and you're, you know, on this yacht somewhere and a phone rings and you're like, oh, a phone's ringing and you're reaching for it. But in real life, the phone's ringing in your house and you're just like, damn it, I just woke up. Well, it's all about frequencies. That's basically what it is. Resonating on a frequency. So I saw a lot of people today when I was tweeting out uh, saying things like, well, you know, it just looks like this. Biden won. That's it. I'm sorry. I didn't vote. I didn't jump into this. I'm not fighting for this to lose. Nobody loses. And today's second hour, you'll understand the situation that we're in has happened before. Actually, it's happening around the world right now, and you're none the wiser because you rely on the media to tell you these things, okay? You rely on the media to explain to you what happens. Now, you're going to say, well, Tori, how do you know what is to come? How do you know? Like, that's rubbish. Well, I've already told you I'm a time traveler. You can take that as you wish. And I've already told you that in this reality, I cannot change the past yet. I could possibly be on another reality changing that past that then in this reality can collapse into that reality and make it a reality. Make sense? I hope it does. Because you'll be surprised that they've been telling you all along how much manipulation they can do. I'm pretty sure you missed this one. So take a listen to this. Politicians tend to focus on short-term solutions, but shouldn't there be someone in government looking to the future? What exactly would a future department or secretary of the future do? Well, having someone analyze what might happen in the future seems like a tricky job. But in the corporate world, this position is not entirely uncommon. According to American Public Radio's Marketplace, a number of influential companies like Intel and Google already have futurists. These people look at things like past company metrics, the progression of research and development, and any other data that can paint a picture of what will happen. Perhaps more importantly, they can also paint a picture of what a company might want to avoid. In theory, this sounds complicated. But in practice, it can be incredibly beneficial, as it helps paint goals for companies to grow into. In fact, although the United States does not have anything resembling a department of the future, it kind of used to. From 1972 to 1995, the Office of Technology Assessment provided an up-close look at what topics were being debated and decided on in Congress. As science and technology developed at breakneck speeds, the OTA released research reports concerning complicated technical, environmental, and social issues including their possible outcomes and any relevant policy decisions. This useful service was summarily defunded by Congress in 1995, which some say was the result of its less than positive predictions. For example, Ronald Reagan's proposed missile defense system, nicknamed Star Wars, was predicted to be a catastrophic failure by the OTA. So let's stop it there. So they, what is a secretary of the future and why do we need it? So under Bill Clinton, they ceased to have a predictive division. So let's travel <laughs> um, back into time. Let me find it where we can talk about predictive stuff in Reagan. Because this is going to be fun. 
because he actually warned you about the president that you were going to elect in the future. They had these divisions. I mean, they still are around, surprisingly. And they work with people from multiple constructed realities. Oh, one side in this campaign has been telling us that the issues of this election are the maintenance of peace and prosperity. The line has been used, we've never had it so good. I won't have to worry about putting gas in my car. I won't have to worry about paying my mortgage. You know, if I, if I help him, he's gonna help me. But I have an uncomfortable feeling that this prosperity isn't something on which we can base our hopes for the future. The, the key point I'm making right now is that uh, the economy is moving in a positive direction. And yet our government continues to spend $17 million a day more than the government takes in. You're telling me we got to go spend money to keep from going bankrupt? The answer, yeah, that's what I'm telling you. We've raised our debt limit three times in the last 12 months. And now our national debt is one and a half times bigger than all the combined debts of all the nations of the world. We're going to raise the debt limit. Uh, we always have. Uh, we will do it again. We have $15 billion in gold in our treasury. We don't own an ounce. I have informed by the, that the majority plans to block consideration of uh, this amendment, which is number 1367, regarding the transparency at the Federal Reserve. Foreign dollar claims are $27.3 billion. It said that China has now surpassed Japan as the U.S. government's largest creditor, owning at least 10% of all U.S. debt, perhaps as much as $700 billion. And we've just had announced that the dollar of 1939 will now purchase 45 cents in its total value. President Obama is expected to face tough questions over the U.S. decision to pump 600 billion freshly printed dollars into its economy. Now, the move is an attempt to revive the country's finances, but will result in the devaluation of the dollar. We're at war with the most dangerous enemy that has ever faced mankind in his long climb from the swamp to the stars. We've got to give them a stake in creating the kind of uh, uh, world order that I think all of us would like to see. And it's been said if we lose that war and in so doing lose this way of freedom of ours, You'll construct a legal regime to make indefinite detention legal. History will record with the greatest astonishment that those who had the most to lose did the least to prevent its happening. Well, I think it's time we ask ourselves if we still know the freedoms that were intended for us by the founding fathers. For some trips, it'll be faster than flying, without the pat down. Anna was, was picked to go through. Pretty much everybody except the baby was, was picked to go through uh, the, the scanner. If we lose freedom here, there's no place to escape to. This is the last stand on earth. Damn America, that's in the Bible. Whether we believe in our capacity for self-government or whether we abandon the American Revolution and confess that a little intellectual elite in a far distant capital can plan our lives for us better than we can plan them ourselves. I've got a core set of values that uh, I think have to be advanced um, and, and that I, my individual salvation depends on uh, our collective salvation. You and I are told increasingly we have to choose between a left or right. Well, I'd like to suggest there is no such thing as a left or right. There's only an up or down. We had an election, and it was about a direction for our country. 
And regardless of their sincerity, their humanitarian motives, those who would trade our freedom for security have embarked on this downward course. In this boat harvesting time, they use terms like the great society, or as we were told a few days ago by the president, we must accept a greater government activity in the affairs of the people. E pluribus unum, out of many, one. In the end, in the end, that's what this election is about. Well, the trouble with our liberal friends is not that they're ignorant. It's just that they know so much that isn't so. It, over the course of 10 years, it would cost what it would cost us. It, it, <laughs> all right. Okay. We're going to. The, it would cost us about the same as it would cost. How is that for a trip down memory lane? Here's another one. We'll go down trip down memory lane since you're the underdog, right? Think about it. You've been told this so many times throughout time. And there has been so much love poured on every single human ever. How you should be disappointed. You had expectations, but you weren't paying attention. You were told throughout modern time, let alone the past. And yet you hate the fact that you have been given misery. Whenever you're in despair and in pain, you say, why have you forsaken me? It is through that pain that you grow and you learn. You stuck your finger in the socket. Everyone would tell you that. You stuck your finger in the socket and you were warned. So here's another discussion we've had since 2018 together. The start agreement. Start agreement of 2021. China has been all over that. China has been asserting, preventing the weaponization of outer space. You remember with the USSR, the whole thing that Reagan did, right? Cold War era Star Wars program. Do you remember that? Maybe we should take a trip down memory lane and remember President Reagan's promo about Star Wars, huh? Because Space Force is the same force to be reckoned with now. Huh. Who's the underdog now, right? So this is from 1982. It is actually a promo. Take a listen. The policy of mutual assured destruction, which bears the appropriate acronym MAD, has paralyzed United States strategic thought for two decades. In recent years, the decline in U.S. military strength and a continuing Soviet military buildup have called into question our ability to survive and respond to a Soviet first strike. It is time for a bold new stroke in strategic planning. Congressman Newt Gingrich, the Republican co-chairman of the Congressional Space Caucus. The United States is at a crossroads in both its prosperity and its very survival. And the high frontier gives us a chance to leapfrog past the huge Russian army to regain our national security through developments in space. The space shuttle gives us an opportunity to develop through the high frontier program. Answers to the Russian challenge that would put us a decade ahead of the Russians in dominating the high frontier of space. You know, 
He who controlled the air controlled World War II. The Japanese early on in the Pacific with their carriers, the Americans later on. The Germans early on in the Blitzkrieg with their stupid dive bombers, the Americans later on. In the future, he who controls space may well control the future of mankind. Please write to us at this address. Huh, very interesting. You know what else is interesting? Seattle's insane, like very insane uh, New Year's uh, show. Did you guys see it? Hold on. Let me get it for you. If you haven't seen it, you have to. It was pretty wild. And a lot of people were like, well, you know, you could only see it from your TV. It doesn't matter. I want you to be paying attention to what they're telling you because that's what they bank on. Oh, yeah. Conspiracy theory. Hello. Hello. Conspiracy theory. Listen, I have been telling every single person who I am. It's just like I said, people don't pay attention. That's a problem. Paying attention. Here we go. And the music was pretty eerie. For those of you that are watching, on uh, uh, watching, listening via the podcast, I would highly suggest uh, I put it on my Facebook, Tori Says page, and on Twitter. It's quite an interesting show. Pretty incredible, isn't it? Pretty incredible, isn't it? Where else have we seen something that looks like the Space Needle? (laughs) We had that show already. The City of Light, or no, it's the King of Light. Who's that? Nur Sultan who is called Astana, a Satan. (laughs) It's like they're telling you everything you need to know. Everything you need to know, and you're just not paying attention. Everyone tells you who they are. You just don't listen, or you can't fathom it. So when I tweeted it out, I was like, hey, Project Bluebeam, conspiracy theory. Well, they're kind of showing you what they can do. Oh, no, it was just done on TV. (laughs) Yeah, okay. That was a test. Space Needle, showing you the DNA helix in the beginning, coming forward. That's what it did. It showed you the DNA helix coming forward and then growing and blossoming into what I call a lotus flower that they destroy in the end. After the serpent dances around it. It's pretty interesting. Very symbolic. Uh, I'm pretty sure we've seen something like that. Actually, it was identical to that. Uh, Ceremonies of um, Horus, if I'm not mistaken. Very interesting. So they tell you everything you need to see. um, And they laugh about it too. Ah, Frequencies. Frequencies, frequencies. I'm falling behind here. Frequencies. So... Frequencies are very, very important. And this plays into you as a whole. Because what is your body made of mostly? Mm, What can you not live without? Water. And this is where it heads down to. Like I said, the Chinese don't want us going into space. They don't want us weaponizing it. Putin has been talking about it. He was actually quite clear. And 
he was actually quite forward about it back in 2012, if I'm not mistaken, that the issues that we will have going forward is that who controls space. Space, 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 space force, guardians. And that'll be kind of the tune that we will be having uh, this year. A lot of stuff that you can't believe are happening. But this month, we're going to have crazy things. And it only, it, and it's up to you that it will only last for um, maybe, let's see, six, so um, 45 days after the sixth. What am I referring to? Let me go there before we jump back into frequencies, because I think you guys need more into that. So that way you can understand it, because we need to jump into new energy and quantum. So to finish out this first hour, I'm going to show you the state of our union by showing you other states of unions that are happening right now, and you have no idea that they've been happening. So did you know that Afghanistan has two presidents now? What? So basically, there's two guys in Afghanistan that are claiming that they're both president. Ashraf Ghani, the country's president since 2014. And Abdullah Abdullah, the country's former chief executive. Sound familiar? They held inaugurations on the same day in different locations. The Electoral Commission says Ghani won the 2019 election. So did America. But Abdullah claims the result is fraudulent. Now the U.S. Special Envoy, Zalmay Kaligiz, is trying to broker a solution between the two. As the government is scheduled to participate in peace talks between the U.S. and the Taliban. Huh. Two presidents? Wait, there's more. See, while you're not paying attention, this is a reality. Let's go to Kenya. Now we go to Kenya. Oh, yes. <laughs> Two presidents in one country. In Kenya, too. Can a country have two presidents? As president of the Republic of Kenya. In full realization of the high calling, assume the office of the people's president of the Republic of Kenya. So Uhuru Kenyatta won Kenya's general election in August 2017. But the Supreme Court nullified the election results. And called for another election in October. Opposition leader Raila Odinga boycotted the poll saying it was unfair after Kenyatta won again. Odinga held a rival inauguration and declared himself president. Guys, they're back from when their fathers fought for power in Kenya. Kenyatta's government reacted to his declaration shutting down all TV stations that aired the inauguration for a week, suspending passports for anyone closely tied to Odinga, 
and detaining the lawyers who administered the oath, deporting one of them to Canada. Odinga has been accused of treason, and Kenyatta is being accused of authoritarianism. Can a nation be led by two people at the same time? Huh, you didn't know that either, did you? I mean, most of you didn't. I'd be surprised if they knew. Wait, there's more. Because <laughs> see, this is where we, we know this one. And this one has a lot of words, not just pictures. Because I can tell you, I can find seven, eight, wait, another 11 countries that are undergoing the same process right now. Like I said, 2020 elections were not elections just for us. Because the revolution, as you can see, globally is being fought for the past four years while we were busy with fake special counsel, Russia dossiers, Congress working against us, and our domestic terrorists that are sitting in elected office, in the mainstream media, corporations, and social media. All of this has been happening about Venezuela and why it has two competing presidents. Juan Guaido is the one recognized by dozens of countries. But Nicolas Maduro is the one in charge. In parliament, the opposition parties hold a majority, but elections are coming up and the opposition is split over whether to boycott them. And while the politicians argue, people in Venezuela are struggling more than ever. You can see how desperate the situation is here. So if things are so bad, why does Maduro still hold power? What could happen if the opposition decides to sit out the elections? And why aren't there big protests anymore? For years, we've been watching Venezuela climb to the top of just about every awful index there is. Worst economy in the world, the highest murder rate, and a refugee crisis that rivals the one in Syria. More than 5 million of its 29 million strong population have fled the country. That's down to a combination of bad economic policy, corruption, and in the last two years, sanctions. And this is how hard it is for people to feed themselves. Hyperinflation has made Venezuela's currency, the Bolivar, almost worthless. The minimum wage is 1.2 million Bolivares a month. That's just over a dollar. At that rate, you'd have to work two months to buy a carton of eggs, and prices go up every week. It's a mess. But it wasn't always this bad. Venezuela was once the place to be in Latin America. Caracas, the swinging city of Venezuela. Its huge oil reserves helped build a booming economy, but over time, corruption and inequality grew, and the shine started to wear off. Enter President Hugo Chavez. His social programs were popular, but they relied on taking over businesses, controlling the currency, and high oil prices which eventually crashed. So by the time Chavez died, his vice president, Nicolas Maduro, inherited an economy in a lot of trouble. Then 2018 happened. Maduro said he won the presidential race, but the opposition and a lot of countries disagreed. There was no international uh, observation. 
the main opposition coalition was actually barred from uh, presenting candidates under its unified ticket. So the opposition basically said the presidency is vacant and according to the constitution, the president of the parliament should take over and call new elections. That man was Juan Guaido. Puro. The Maduro government felt like they were being usurped. And actually, it's ironic because Juan Guaido has referred to Nicolas Maduro as a usurper, but the other side feels the same way. So for the last two years, both men have laid claim to the presidency. Most opposition parties consider Guaido to be the acting president. He's also recognized by nearly 60 countries, including most of Latin America, the US and the EU. And then there's Maduro, who has the backing of countries like Russia and China, and he's the real authority on the ground. He has the loyalty of the military, the National Guard, and a civilian militia. Military officials also control industries like the state oil company, and Maduro's appointees run institutions like the Supreme Court. And even though the government is nearly bankrupt, Venezuela still manages to trade with allies like Turkey and Iran. Guaido just can't access those kinds of resources, but he does have public support, just not as much as before. In 2019, hundreds of thousands of people rallied for months backing Guaido. The bulk of the opposition strategy hinged on getting the military to break away from Maduro, something that never happened. And after nearly 50 people were killed, mostly by security forces, momentum fizzled out. Guaido's coalition of opposition parties then tried other ways to put pressure on Maduro, and they had help from abroad. Sanctions have blocked Venezuelan oil exports. Government assets worth billions of dollars have been frozen, including Venezuelan gold in the Bank of England. Mercenaries have even tried and failed to overthrow Maduro. But after all that, Maduro is still around, and his supporters say what the opposition has been doing is evidence of an international conspiracy to remove Maduro. And here's another thing. Maduro is pretty unpopular. His disapproval rating, according to one pollster, is 77%. But Guaido's isn't far behind. Many feel that maybe this hardline stance of Juan Guaido has not worked. These sanctions that um, were supposed to drive Maduro out of the Miraflores palace have not worked. And now there are parliamentary elections. Maduro says more than 100 parties have candidates running, and he's invited foreign observers. But Guaido and some of the main opposition parties say the elections have been rigged from the start. Opposition leaders have been jailed or simply removed, and several political parties have been banned. They also say the body that runs elections is made up of people appointed by the pro-Maduro Supreme Court. So instead, Guaido and the main opposition parties are doing their own thing. They're calling on people to boycott the election in December. And in the meantime, they're holding their own referendum. It's to ask people if they approve of what Maduro's doing and if they want him gone. But some just aren't convinced. They say it's better to run and try to win a seat in parliament. Either way, Maduro stands to win control of basically everything, and people who want change haven't been protesting the way they used to. They're in the middle of a pandemic, there's a state of emergency, there's also a lot of fear. Human rights groups say that an increasing number of journalists, doctors, opposition politicians, and ordinary citizens are being detained. So the protests may be smaller, 
but the anger is growing. COVID-19 may generate fear among people, but surviving every day is the main worry for many. People who four or five years ago uh, were able to sustain themselves and, and, and able to get by and reduce to just uh, unthinkable poverty. A lot of people also seem to have just given up. Many have lost faith in politicians, protests, and elections. Whether Juan Guaido can convince people to boycott the vote and take part in his referendum may give us an idea of just how much hope is actually left. So, as you see, three nations that I showcase that have two presidents. And all of them are going through the same thing we're going in the United States of America. We're going through tribulations ourselves. So one has to think, was this all planned? Did you see how quickly all those people came out? But the minute shots were fired, the minute people were being pushed away, they retreated. They kneeled. They yielded. This is where the hero comes in. The hero within each and every one of you that will stand firm, the armor of God, and say, no, you do not get to choose for me. Because fear, weaponized, is indeed terrorism. And you've been victim of that for the past year almost. They have told you if you step outside, you will die. If you do not wear a mask, you will die. So I thought for this intermission, we'll play two versions of the same song. It's quite fun. I was um, quite um, intrigued when I found it. So same song, different versions. Pretty cool. And where is it? Because we're going to talk about fear before we get into the frequency and the power that they have. So fill up those coffee cups and I will be right back. Yeah, so the lyrics were great. The message was bogus. Yeah, we didn't start the virus. The control of virus, the infodemic, because fear is a great weapon. But guess what? We didn't start the fire. They did. And therefore, we're going to torch the place down. That's the way it happens. Mm, we're setting the world on fire. We're searching. So that is how it's going to go. They did. We didn't start it, but we will end it. 
And that's because we're tired of them taking control of the narrative. We're tired of them using fear as a weapon. Here's how it works. I actually was lucky enough to find a documentary on the psychology of fear. Rather than me tell you, let's have specialists tell you because for whatever reason, people like to focus on titles and tiaras. So I think it's important that people hear this. A virus called fear. And briefly, I was wondering if you can give me an input on how we went from having rational fear to like not get eaten by tigers and bears and how we came to irrational fears like politics and religion. Okay, um, that's a very interesting thought. So, remember, what have I said about your brain? You are pre-programmed to submit. You are pre-programmed to enslave yourself. And that program is called fear. It's very interesting that I found this, right? Fear, you fear nothing. Do you fear dying? Seriously, do you feel dying? Honestly, ask yourself, is that something that you fear? Like I said, I, I don't fear anything. I mean, I initially I'll fear something, but in the end, I fear, I fear nothing. Fear is the way they control you. Fear is how they keep you in check. Fear is when they tell you you have no option. Fear is when they tell you things are impossible. That's what fear is. And this is from over eight years ago. The virus is fear. Hey, I'm Ben. I got less than 20 minutes to talk about a program that has taken thousands of years to try to understand. That has taken the most of my adult life to understand. And it continues to spread through our system. Few of us actually ask, what is fear? A lot of psychologists and researchers believe that fear is an innate emotion. It's believed that we are born with the ability to be afraid because it's a survival mechanism. If we did not have fear, we would not then get into um, a reaction to fear, which is something that is within us to survive, to be able to properly prepare ourselves for anything that's a danger. I think fear is a survival mechanism, certainly. Fear has adaptive qualities for us over time. We needed to be afraid of things in order to survive. So the basic fears like fear of lightning, fear of fire, fear of heights, fear of danger, fear of the saber-toothed tiger, all of those were quite functional for us. And then over time when there 
was not that need to be afraid of those things because we were living in more industrialized societies. We seemed to be afraid of other things, namely other people. Certainly, fear would be a very valuable biological mechanism because our ancestors would have lived perilous lives. They'd have, they'd have been frightened of predators, lions, saber-tooths, um, no, probably not saber-tooths, um, uh, and leopards. Um, they would have had um, uh, disease would have swooped without warning, without explanation. Um, so they would naturally have um, tried to think of ways to avoid these terrible dangers. Uh, in the case of, of disease, which, which before modern science was completely unpredictable, unknowable, uh, one would naturally fall into superstitious habits. Um, these, are, these are superstitious responses and uh, when you're living in a world of, of ignorance. So it's not surprising that people will go to incredible lengths to survive. If you think back to, you know, caveman days, hearing noises, fear for your life, are you in danger of any kind? That there are fears that are actually just natural, innate, um, that are there to kick in the fight or flight response so that we are on guard, we're prepared for something that may be something we need to either avoid, something we need to get away from, escape from, in order to keep ourselves alive, keep ourselves safe. That type of an innate fear is gonna be very different from fears that are learned. Our survival fears, you know, when you look at evolutionary psychology, what we needed to be afraid of in order to survive. And I can't say that that's had adaptive qualities, but a sociologist would probably say that it's been functional. It sounds a little bit odd to think that fear could be functional, but in actuality, if you look at in-groups and out-groups in society, the us versus them, it's actually quite functional to be afraid of them. Certainly a lot of fears that it is believed are learned along the way or um, conditioned, depending on the, the school of psychology that you believe. Um, but then there's also a lot, of, a lot of research to show that there are innate fears that we are born with that are there to protect us, that we need those natural reactions in order to be prepared, be on guard and survive threats. Watson wanted to look at could someone learn to be afraid of something? You had this young boy, this little boy, who had no fear of rats. He would sit with this white rat, he would pet him, he would play with him. There was no indication that there was any issue whatsoever. And Watson set out to create a situation where little Albert would grow to be afraid of the rat. So what he started to do was associated every time Albert went to reach for the rat, a very loud noise, so loud that it would make little Albert jump. And he kept, any time little Albert went to uh, touch the rat, let the rat sit in his lap, for example, any kind of contact whatsoever, little Albert would hear this loud noise. And it got to the point where little Albert became afraid to go anywhere near the rat because at that point, the virtually automatic reaction that he had learned was associating the loud, scary sound with interacting with the rat. The attitudes that children learn in the family, that starts as soon as they begin understanding their parents. And I mean, it's not just what they say, but children pick up on facial expressions. They pick up on energy before they can even communicate. So that emotional, um, they can be quite sensitive to just anxiety in the air at very young ages.
You grow up in a household that is unsafe, where you feel it's not stable, not constant, not consistent. You are definitely prone to see the world as a more fearful place. If there's a lot of volatility, it, it's, it goes back to another theory, <laughs> um, Eric Erickson's theory. It's a lifelong developmental theory, but the very first psychosocial crisis is trust versus mistrust. And, it, and he theorized that it happens in the first year of life. And if you don't gain the sense of trust in your world, when you're hungry, someone's going to be there. When you're crying, someone's going to comfort you. Then you'll resolve that on the continuum of mistrust. And what that means is that that's the lens through which you're going to view your world. So there's certainly genetic or uh, nature aspects where you can see patterns in family, personality traits that get passed along from family to family. If you are born into a... By fear, you could very well make up um, superstitions. Legends do it in, in Skinner boxes. Skinner himself uh, had, did a very interesting experiment in which he put pigeons in a skin... You know, Skinner box is a, a cage in which if the pigeon does something like peck a key, it gets a, re a reward, and pigeons readily learn to do that. I will try to pick out some particular pattern of behavior and uh, make it uh, more, a more frequent part of the repertoire of the bird. Right, fine. The bird is, uh, has been uh, already conditioned to eat when the, when the magazine sounds and the light flashes. When it came to Skinner's work, what Skinner wanted to look at was could you use twofold rewards and punishments? Whereas if you introduce something positive, like to a, a pigeon, a food pellet, it would encourage the pigeon to keep pecking at the lever to get more food and thus continue pecking and continue pecking. Under its left wing, another would be turning around in circles, um, another would be scratching the ground, another would be wiping its head on the ground. Each, each pigeon had superstitiously done something, accidentally been rewarded because that's when the mechanism produced the, 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 the food and carried on doing it. And so each pigeon became a kind of maniac for doing a particular, um, a particular ritual. So what's the ritual now that they've conditioned you? If you wear a mask, you will be rewarded with people thanking you for what you do. Emotional terrorism. Here's the key. If it's something that our brain tells us is a true threat, at that point then the hypothalamus, the amygdala both kick in. The amygdala actually triggers the hypothalamus. Chemical reactions, adrenaline, cortisol are all released in the brain that then actually release an automatic physiological response that includes things like your heart rate picking up, uh, your breathing capacity, blood actually rushes from your digestive tract out to your external limbs to get your muscles ready. Your senses actually increase and become more aware, such as hearing, such as your vision. And at that point, you are ready to either fight or flight. Do I need to prepare myself for something that I need to respond to, or do I need to take off? When people are afraid, it can override their cognitive abilities. And so they're not really thinking through things. They're reacting in an emotional place, a fear-based place, that amygdala place. Now, funny that she should say that.
So how many Americans are really making decisions right now under the guise of constant fear? Because uh, many of us will call them stupid, ignorant, not doing their homework, sheeple. Think about it. Your amygdala not only processes your responses to fear, but what have I told you that we've dumped $23 trillion into investigating the amygdala? How to stimulate aggression. So how many Karens have been kind about the mask? How many people that you've seen where you're just like, this virus isn't real, you know, and they just get angry. The response is anger and viciousness. Think about it. How many? They know exactly how to play the human mind. Fear. Fear. <laughs> Fear. Did you know that Prometheus actually gave that quality to humans? Fear. Because it was fear that kept them blah. Simply existing. Simply existing. <laughs> See, if you simply exist and you know how to operate and you can blink your eye and you manifest a coffee, blink your eye and you're in Paris, blink or you get bored after a while. You've seen everything. It's eternal torture to not experience things, to appreciate them. Tribulations are what give you satisfaction. You know, I was once asked when, when I was not doing too well physically, I was once asked, what will you miss if something goes wrong and you don't wake up from your surgery, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Do you know what I said? Taking a breath. It won't be um, my friends, uh, the sun, the water crashing against the shores. It'll be taking that breath, the painful one, you know, the really deep one where your lungs expand and you feel it. Um, that would be something I would miss. The actual living part, knowing that there is something to fight for. I know it sounds cliche-ish, but that's true. And I'm sure a lot of you, if you look into yourself, will say the same. But at the bottom of everything, there is nothing, nothing that you actually fear. Unless, unless, what? You have no faith. There is nothing to fear. I remember when they first did the lockdowns and I couldn't go to church. You know, the churches were debating. Maybe we should use different spoons because unlike other people, our communion it uses a common spoon. And I'm like, I have faith. If I'm going to die, I'm going to die. Who cares? It's my time. If I do this, who cares? It's my time. I can't control that. We like to have control. We're told that we have more control than everything. But in fact, you have more control over my life than I do, per se. Our realities have to bleed into the person next to us. So if your reality tells you that you fear things, you will fear everything. Everything. Death. Everything. And that all comes down with the simple notion of language. Language. Language is what does it. Communication is what does it. 
So what is the concept of language? Well, Noam Chomsky actually had a great interview that I want to share with you where he spoke of language. And I'm going to go quickly to that portion. Here we go. Somebody can walk in a room, hear a few words, and walk out crying or angry or this whole series of emotions simply with a few words. Doesn't that constantly amaze you? It's not just words again. It could be a fleeting picture. I mean, take, say, a caricature. You see a few lines, you know, and it brings to your mind uh, a person in a situation, maybe a tragic situation or a comical situation or whatever. I mean, the human mind is a very marvelous thing. Uh, it's, it's got an extremely intricate and complex structure, which, at least at a scientific level, we understand very little about. But what you're describing to is central part of it. Little hints here and there succeed in evoking in us very rich experience uh, and interpretation. And what's more, it's done surprisingly uniformly for different people. Which mean, and it's of course done without any training or very minimal training. Nobody would know how to train people to do this. Uh, so it's, it somehow must be the only logical possibility, aside from angels or acts of God, is it's something rooted in our nature. I mean, qualitatively speaking, these phenomena are very much like physical growth. The, the nutrition that's given to an organism, to an embryo, is not what determines that it's going to be a human or a bird. Uh, what determines that it's going to be a human or a bird is something about its internal structure. And what determines that we are going to be the kind of creature that can speak and that can uh, 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 interpret a, a sign or a, a line, a couple of lines or something as uh, evoking an emotional experience or whatever, that's something in our nature. But it's so far beyond what we know how to study that... Uh, you can only wave your hands at it at the moment. How should parents react with respect to exposing their children to language? Should they expose them to all aspects of language, or should they simply let them develop in the way they develop? I suspect there's very little that parents can do to change the course of language development. I mean, you can, I mean, you can we know from experience. Again, let me say, I, I'm not speaking about this from any expertise. I don't have any more expertise than personal experience. There's nothing in linguistic theory that gives answers to this question. But experience suffices to indicate, in no cases, that you can create an environment in which a five-year-old will sound like a college professor, and it's kind of comical, but they'll use big words and, you know, complicated sentences and so on. I suspect you're probably harming the five-year-old, but it's possible to do that. Children can be molded. On the other hand, if you just leave them alone, they're going to pick up the language of their culture. Typically, they'll pick up the language of their peers. Quite typically, there are exceptions, but typically children will learn the language they heard in the streets. So the language they heard on the streets. How many times have I talked about defining things? How many times have I talked about frequency? So I want you to, um, there's this uh, short video where a guy talks about duality. So duality is quite important, speaking of two presidents, speaking of good and evil, speaking of two options only, I think it's important that we understand duality so that you can understand uh, the magical frequency. Huh. So <laughs> this is where it gets to it. This is why it's important that you trust your gut. Because there's one thing that cannot be masked. 
And that's you interpreting things on a cellular and molecular level. No one, no one, and I mean no one, can train your cells on how they receive information. No one. Those are hardwired into your molecular programming. There is no way that someone can provide to you changes on that core level. They have not succeeded in doing so at all. It is individual to us. It is individual to you. How you taste something is not going to be the same as someone else. Uh, you know, I like smelly cheese. Other people can't because uh, they just have been hardwired, programmed because of whatever experience individual to them and their hardcore molecular genetics to accept or not accept. So here's where we get into the meat of the weapons we need for 2021. Because in the year of the hero, the hero within you is, has no fear for anything does not fear anything. Once you understand how words and how frequencies work, you'll be able to trust your gut a lot more and know exactly what you stand for. You will say, what's the point of me bowing down now? In the end, it's just me feeding that crocodile, hoping that it eats me last. What's the point of me doing this if in the end, in the long run, I have simply participated in the harm, in the torture, and condemning all future generations. You should never fear what you stand for. You know what you should fear? Standing for nothing. That's what you should fear. So let's get into a bit of wave-particle dualities. Uh, it's quite sexy and interesting. Those of you that are not scientists, hopefully this video, which has been put down in regards of uh, what duality in quantum mechanics, quantum physics is, um, is pretty incredible. I'd like you to take a listen to this. So alien to us, which I think adds to their appeal. If we're being honest though, I kinda hate quantum, but what I hate even more are the myths people develop about it. I know people still have them because I keep getting comments like this. So let's set the record straight. Myth number one. Sometimes electrons behave like particles. Sometimes they behave like waves. It's called wave-particle duality. False. Before you freak out, let me explain. First, we have to be careful with the word particle. A particle is vaguely defined as a small portion of matter, which is always true for things like electrons, protons, and neutrons. No matter what their behavior, they are always small portions of matter, so they are always particles. That's why we call all of these things elementary particles. But the particle and wave-particle duality is saying much more than that. It implies that those small portions of matter, those electrons, protons, and neutrons, also exhibit exactly the same behavior as normal objects. For clarity, let's call this an object instead of a particle from now on. That means we'll call it wave-object duality instead. Second, the justification of this idea usually comes from the double-slit experiment, which I'm really tired of hearing about, and I'm sure you are too. So here's the quick version. Say you've got two walls, but the one in front has two openings. If you launch a bunch of paintballs at the first wall, a pattern develops on the second wall. 
We'll call this pattern object behavior. If you do the same experiment with sound, you get a very different pattern. We'll call this wave behavior. It's a way for us to know if a small thing is an object or a wave. But it gets weird when we do this experiment with microscopic things like electrons. If we only detect the electrons at the second wall, we see wave behavior. If we detect the electrons at both walls, we see object behavior. It would appear that what quantum particles are depends on the circumstances. But that's not actually the case. Electrons, protons, and neutrons are always particles, but are never truly objects. But didn't the experiment just show- No, no it didn't. Yes, we sometimes get patterns like this for particles. But we have to be careful about what we think that means. The double slit experiment doesn't tell us that particles behave two different ways. It tells us that our ordinary notions of behavior are wrong. Oh, our ordinary notions of behavior are wrong. So let's hop over to another guy who tells you how consciousness influences quantum mechanics. Now, I've told you that the most amazing quantum computer is between the six inches <laughs> between those two ears of yours. This was actually done by PBS, uh, this report, um, just this year. So, huh, interesting. If I focus really hard, do my powers of quantum mechanics allow me to manifest reality? No. But then why did some of the founders of the theory seem to think that consciousness and quantum mechanics were inextricably linked. Keep in mind what he said. No is false. It's true. The behavior of the quantum world is beyond weird. Objects being in multiple places at once, communicating faster than light, or simultaneously experiencing multiple entire timelines that then talk to each other. The rules governing the tiny quantum world of atoms and photons seem alien. And yet, we have a set of rules that give us incredible power in predicting the behavior of quantum systems, rules encapsulated in the mathematics of quantum mechanics. Despite its stunning success, we are now nearly a century past the foundation of quantum mechanics, and physicists are still debating how to interpret its equations and the weirdness they represent. It's not surprising that the profound weirdness of the quantum world has inspired some outlandish explanations, nor that these explanations have strayed into the realm of what we might call mysticism. One particularly pervasive notion is the idea that consciousness can directly influence quantum systems, and so influence reality. Today, we're going to see where this idea comes from and whether quantum theory really supports it. To start, we get... First of all, I'm going to tell you, quantum theory totally supports it. And here he is trying to dispel it. But in the process of trying to debunk it, he reinforces it. Pay attention. I need to go back to one of the earliest interpretations of quantum mechanics, the Copenhagen interpretation, often associated with Niels Bohr and Werner Heisenberg. It tells us that the very act of measurement or observation causes an experiment to settle on a particular result and that it's meaningless to talk about a well-defined objective reality before that measurement is made. Let's see where this kooky idea comes from using the classic example of the double slit experiment. It goes like this. 
A single electron is shot at a pair of slits. It passes through and is registered on a detector screen on the other side. When multiple electrons are shot one after the other, they form a series of bands. That's the same pattern that will be produced by a wave passing through both slits, a so-called interference pattern. But that's weird because this interference pattern seems to guide the path of every electron independently of the others. Each solitary electron must know the entire wave pattern, which means it must, in some sense, travel through both slits. The Copenhagen interpretation explains the result of this experiment by saying that the electron does not travel as a particle or as a physical wave along one of these paths. Instead, it travels as an abstract probability wave, something we call a wave function. That probability wave defines the location of the electron at any point, if you try to measure it. The Copenhagen interpretation states that prior to measurement, it's meaningless to talk about a real physical state for the electron. It exists only as the possible outcome of a future measurement. Prior to measurement, it is the wave function. So what he's saying is, is that if you have a bunch of electrons and you push them through these two slits, they all create this waveform pattern, which means that every single electron is aware of every other electron, which makes no sense if it's just one electron. Hmm. You mean that the direction and the pattern of movement is influenced by those around it or the potentials around it? So one electron is an infinite amount of possibilities that can be projected in something tangible? Ah, I see. You mean we get to construct our own reality, in other words. Copenhagen tells us that when we make that measurement, the wave function collapses. It goes from a cloud of possible final destinations for the electron to a more or less definite spot on the detector screen. So you mean when all the electrons make a conscious decision, the timelines and the possibilities of where they would land collapse into one, hence how you create your reality. Now, one would say, okay, that's quantum, you know, it's a little bit different, uh, that makes no sense. But here's where he walks into the trap where he's trying to dispel but can't. Wave function collapse seems essential because our large-scale classical world isn't made of probability clouds, it's made of objects with clearly definable properties. So when does the quantum transition to the classical actually happen? Let's look at the process in the case of the double slit experiment. The electron wave function passes through both slits, reaches the electronic detector, and there it excites a second electron somewhere on the detector screen. That second electron begins a cascade an electrical impulse that travels along circuits to be registered by a computer, which updates an image on a computer screen to show where the electron hit. And that information travels via photons to light-sensitive molecules in our retinas, which initiate electrical signals to our visual cortex, and more electrical signals in other parts of the brain result in a subjective sense of the original electron's chosen destination on the screen. So here's the thing. He says that we see things subjectively. Well, choosing the location of where this electron hits is also subjective, isn't it? So that's what's bizarre. 
And what he is going into now, hold on, is it here? Um, he starts to talk about it as um, something more, uh, I would say, spiritual. But again, he fails to debunk it. Because the matter of fact here is he wants to tell you that everything is black and white. There's only a, a positive and a negative. There's only left or right. And that it is a fixed object when that's not the way it is. We are the pen holders to write our future. No one else is. You decide if you're going to make a left turn or a right turn it, or a diagonal right turn or an about face. Nobody else does. It's not set in stone unless you allow it to set in stone. If you walk out a door and in front of you is a wall and the only way you can go is right, you have an option. You either take that right willingly, voluntarily, or you break that wall down and go straight. It's all up to you. Oh. So you ask your friend, what was it like for your whole brain to be in a superposition of states? Well, they think you're crazy. They tell you that the wave function collapsed as soon as the physical experiment was completed. But there was no way for that collapse to have happened from your perspective. No information had reached you. So there's the conflict. Different observers say the wave function collapses at different times. Eugene Wigner felt that this conflict meant that it was impossible for entire brains, or more importantly, conscious experiences generated by those brains, to be in a superposition of states. Therefore, he concluded that conscious experience must itself play a role in generating wave function collapse. Wigner and von Neumann were the only ones who questioned the relationship between the mind and the measurement problem. Wolfgang Pauli was perhaps the first to assert the connection, and his influence may have started the development of the Copenhagen interpretation, later attributed mostly to Bohr and Heisenberg. Bohr himself was careful about claiming any direct role of the conscious mind, and vigorously defended himself after Einstein accused him of introducing mysticism into physics. But Heisenberg was more open to mystical interpretations and the direct influence of consciousness. So let's talk about the direct influence of frequencies and consciousness. Here's where we're going to go um, into something interesting. Uh, I found this uh, video which talks about finding the perfect frequency. But before we get into that, I'm going to introduce you to someone that I've introduced my children to. And um, I actually had my daughter conduct this as an experiment. Uh, Dr. Masuro Emoto, um, he conducted an experiment. Um, let me just see if this is the right one. Um, okay, so just so you understand, human emotion is a non-linear response to... Um, to nonlinear reactional response. There we go. Humans cannot discern uh, the difference between... So there's a law of physics. For every action, there's an equal and opposite reaction. Now, one thing that you need to understand is no one is in your mind. You're the only one there. And uh, 
everything that exists in this biome is part of you. And what makes the most out of almost everything around us is water. And so emotions are not something that we can control. Uh, the sound, uh, sounds, tastes, smells, uh, proximity to other people, uh, pets, you know, any animal, big and ferocious, tiny and fluffy, bugs, they all trigger an emotion, right? So we have to be aware of that. And how we do that is through communication. Um, when I was a student, I had studied uh, plant pathology. And I've brought this example up before. And I remember sitting in this graduate class where all these people are getting their PhDs in, you know, agriculture uh, to learn about diseases in plants. And I remember one disease um, that we were introduced to, which is a bacteria called Agrobacterium tumefaciens. And uh, the professor said, well, you know, when a plant is wounded, this bacteria just goes into the plant and, you know, creates, you know, starts to mate with plant cells. And this is why we see this cancer on plants. That was the whole reason of me taking the course. I wanted to find out the origins of crown galls. And I spent a whole semester learning about tobacco viruses and you name it, I learned it, and disease cycle in plants just to understand how that works. And what I realized was, is they were doing it wrong. I, I actually have written a paper. I have not submitted it. I should. Uh, I think he even asked me about it. And that's the first time I've been published in an educational book uh, where I you know, <laughs> sat there and told the professor, hey, I think you're doing it wrong. And he changed his schematics. So what did he tell me? And I couldn't conceive. He said, that bacteria just climbs in there and just goes because the plant is wounded. And I'm like, wait a minute. But in the soil, there are so many other bacteria. Why don't they enter the wounded part of the root and climb up into the tree and find a vulnerable plant cell that they will mate with? I mean, you're telling me that a bacteria is mating with a plant cell. They're not of the same phylum, right? They don't, they're not supposed to be exchanging DNA there's got to be a trigger. And he was like, no. And I was like, well, there has to be. He's like, well, I don't know. I mean, it just is. I'm like, damn. So I went and discovered a professor called Dr. Bonnie Bassler. As an undergraduate student, she was mocked and mimicked a lot. She was trying to prove that bacteria talk to each other, that they have a language. And I... To, to find her, what I did was I, I looked at the actual pain of a plant, believe it or not, pain. So where it was cut, what molecules do we see in the soil around there? Does it excrete anything? What are the molecular processes uh, that uh, this root undergoes? And I looked into all of it, and I found that plants, when they are wounded at their roots, they secrete a phenol-type molecule. And so that's the way they send signals to the surrounding cells, exterior and interior, to tell each other, the cells, the neighboring cells, hey, I'm hurt, I need, uh, I need to start the process, 
uh, nucleus of my cell to reproduce cells and bring in some immunity and fix this up. Kind of like the same thing when we get a cut, uh, there are molecular signals that are sent out where your liver creates these, inter you know, these interferons and then, you know, you get coagulation and the, and the wound heals, right? So I was like, all right, phenols. Hmm. So I was looking into the agrobacterium tumefaciens. Since Bonnie Bassler was investigating communications between uh, uh, bacteria, I went through all of the quorum sensing. That's how she coined it, quorum sensing, Q-U-O-R-U-M, sensing. And I found that agrobacterium tumefaciens actually excretes a phenol that is almost identical to that of the tree when it's in distress. And I'm like, dude, what? This is all about miscommunication. That specific uh, emittance of that phenol type um, uh, communication that the bacteria releases, it's when it uh, wants to aggregate and reproduce. So, you know, when you get infected, you get one bacteria inside and it's like, yo, I'm reproducing. Yo, let's do this. And then they start to create a population and then you get sick. So it's all about communication. So what I discovered was, is that the agrobacterium tumefaciens that may be in the soil is not exchanging an DNA with a plant cell because that's how it wants to kill it. Because crown galls won't kill a plant. I mean, I, I guess if it's in certain areas of, you know, the xylem, you know, yes, it can clog it and the tree, that part of it will die because of physical hindrances. But in essence, this communication, the, the bacteria thinks it's another bacteria and they're exchanging DNA to populate, but it's not the same cell and it doesn't register it because the communication is different. Okay? Communication. Communication. Right? So communication is frequencies. It's molecules. It's everything. Communication is key. For us as humans, it's all about frequencies. The light that you, that comes into your eyes, into your rods and cones, is then those frequencies, those light frequencies, are then interpreted into images. Uh, the frequencies that you get of sound come into your ear, run through your cochlea, which looks like a snail with water and little hairs, and for some reason, they magically get interpreted into sounds. The vibrations you feel at the tips of your fingers, sound, right? Um, yesterday, actually, I was um, at a store. Um, I went to Best Buy to go get an SD card reader. And um, they had bone conduction headphones. And I was trying them on. And I know that my right ear is done. I can't hear anything from my right ear. But the bone conduction, conduction is spot on. Why? Because it's frequencies, it's vibrations, right? Frequencies and vibrations. So I have told you before that fear porn and this terrorism, that they're, they're actually, this is true terrorism, Free, fear vibrates you on a different frequency. Your words vibrate things on a different frequency. And this is why I say trust your gut. Because on a molecular level, unless it's something about mating, you know, maybe pheromones, right? Your body will not lie to you. It will tell you what you are hearing. It's important that we do not go by sight, but we go by faith and have faith 
in, in yourself because you are hardwired programmed to receive those frequencies. Hence why 5G is such a big deal. And we're going to be talking about more of it in 2021. And this is why today I thought it would be important for you to understand there's two things that you should um, remember from Dr. Emoto. When asked, you know, during creating his peace project, he said, the, you know what, actually I'll play the audio. His English is quite bad, but take a listen to what he says. I convince water is a messenger of God or God itself. He is convinced that water is a messenger of God or God itself. Blueprint of God making this planet or universe come from just only two words. One is love. One is gratitude. So God, when he created water to give life, it's represented by two words, love and gratitude. Love and gratitude. We can actually feel that. Now, there's a um, Nobel Prize laureate, Luc Montagnier, who talked about water memory. Water memory. Okay? And I want to play this portion of it for you. Decide what's right or wrong. Now we must try to understand what happened in these water tubes. Marc-Henri, a professor of chemistry and quantum physics at the University of Strasbourg, will shed some light for us. His publications include an article written with Italian scientists. Okay, so we're going to talk about liquid water, precisely water from the rivers, the sea, tap water. Let's try to define that water. Obviously, the starting point is, and that's what chemistry teaches us, a water molecule containing one oxygen and two hydrogen atoms. To simplify things, let's represent the molecule in the shape of a circle. Now, water molecules have the capacity to hold hands with each other. Think of it as a group of children doing a circle dance. If the chain of molecules is long enough, it can form a circle creating an enclosed space between the molecules where matter cannot get in. However, anything electromagnetic can get in. All these signals can be trapped inside that space, and that's what we call coherent domains. Coherent domains. So apparently, if you have a circle inside, nothing can get in there except for electromagnetic wave. Remember, these are quantum physicists talking about this. So we have chemists and quantum physicists. This is important for you to remember because I will be referring to my January 1st episode when you need to remember your center, <laughs> you know, to get that hero out. Our scientists assume that the Parisian DNA in contact with water emitted electromagnetic signals, which went to launch themselves into the coherent domains. These signals carrying the information of the original molecule allegedly got trapped in these aggregates of millions of water molecules. Although the DNA disappeared through the high dilutions, these entrapped signals simulate the DNA and its properties. Then what happened to these water tubes in Italy during the PCR operation? Scientists only hold hypotheses. 
But if the polymerase did its job by reconstituting a complete sequence of DNA, it's because it found the necessary information thanks to the signals entrapped in water. Much work remains to be done, but for Professor Montagnier, the experiment proved that water could have a sort of memory. It would be a real intellectual and scientific revolution opening huge possibilities. We cannot simply say, no, no, it's impossible, bury our head and do nothing. On the contrary, we must carry out more experiments independently. And if we're actually right, we will find the same results. Only then will we move medicine into a new era, a medicine which will allow us to treat patients with signals and water. This new vision of water properties has major implications for medicine. The capacity of water to store and transmit information would make it play a greater role in our bodies. In this recipient, there are 56 liters of water. It's approximately the quantity of water contained in a human body of 80 kilos. So water is definitely the most important element in our body. So this is Luc Montagnier, Montagnier who is a Nobel Prize laureate, and he's a virologist. Virologist. Water is the main component of the human body. Our body is made up of 70% water. It circulates in our body mixed with our vital fluids, but it's also very present in our cells. Here, the conditions are favorable to the creation of many coherent domains, which can trap many signals. Water is the first just wanted to point out 90% of your brain is water. Everything else is in the 70s. Are we paying attention now? First thing we should be taught in a biology class. Today, if you open a biology book, what do you find? One or two pages on water and 5,000 pages on anything but water. So we would like biology to take that dimension into consideration. Instead of water volume, if we started thinking in terms of the number of molecules in our body, the numbers would speak even more volumes. If you reason in terms of numbers, our body is made up of 99% from that substance we call water. Imagine yourself inside a cell, count until 100, and you'll be saying water 99 times, and one time out of 100, you'll say protein, DNA, magnesium, calcium, and whatnot. These 1%, which don't represent water, but rather represent molecules of calcium and proteins, are sufficiently small to be governed by the strange laws of the physics, of the infinitely small quantum physics. With a cell, you're dealing with the microscale. In that case, classical physics legitimately come into play. However, when I'm dealing with the component, meaning protein or DNA molecule, I'm on a nanoscale, dealing with nanometers. And that's where quantum physics come into play. It's a matter of scale. If you're looking for the closest gas station, you're not going to use a world map. In physics, it's the same. You need the right tool. If you want to understand how a cell works, you must do quantum physics. In the strange world of quantum physics, there's no distinction between signal and matter. An atom is both considered as a particle and as a signal. Precisely, the water memory theory talks about signals which would have the same properties as the matter itself. They're certainly a key to understanding what's going on in the tubes of Professor Montagnier. The problem at the moment is that biologists are required to be experts in physics and chemistry at the same time, and that's not so easy for them. 
Quantum physics dates back one century, but it has never been truly integrated by biologists. However, trying to understand how our cells work using quantum physics is a revolutionary idea. Professor Montagne's experiment allows us to discover that certain biological elements emit signals. These are signals his team follows in their promising medical research. For your information, the importance of this research is the theoretical basis, but also the practical basis. The medical applications are, of course, very important. The professor suspects that serious chronic diseases also have microbial causes. Normally, the signals emitted by the DNA of the microbes and caught in the water of patients' blood disappear after a while. If he detects them in a repeated manner in high dilutions, it means that a pathogenic agent associated with the disease has settled in the organism. We were able to link the presence of the signals in the blood of very serious and widespread diseases. As for chronic diseases like Alzheimer, Parkinson, certain sclerosis, and many others I'll not name, also autism in children and certain cancers. Here it's the sequential dilutions that emit positive frequencies, therefore DNA. Of people with Alzheimer's, yes. So in other words, it's DNA in the water that is in the memory of the water. So the memory of the water is in the DNA, and I've told you before, I mean, I studied uh, molecular and cellular biology because you're built with software. It's called molecular software. So the question one might ask is, do human thoughts and emotion have any impact on water? Do they? Do they alter things? Because I've told you, your memories are not stored in your brain. They're stored in your DNA. It is one of the most incredible storage drives. You think solid slate is cool? Damn. Wait till you get to the quantum level, the nano level. So think of your vaccines. They're on a nano level. And what are they altering? They're providing you DNA. DNA. That's what they're doing. So when water molecules are exposed to different emotions, as you will see in this next really old video, uh, they actually take certain shapes. They, uh, the molecular structure of the actual water is changed. And that is done via frequency. Frequency. So he discovered that frequencies that are carried uh, are the reason that things change. And so in water, this interview with him uh, that you will see and hear now uh, is quite incredible because he was able to prove with the scientific methods of this reality construct that your words, your emotions, your most deepest desires, your thoughts, your ambitions, your fears, and your attitude, which you use to write your future, right, hmm, are embedded and can provoke change in something like water. So when you're angry, don't you say my blood is boiling? When you're angry, you emit this. When you're sick, you emit this. The water has memory. The water has DNA. What do we have in vaccines? Think about it. What foreign vessels are created? And what did we say about nanoparticles and graphene? 
Lots of changes that can be held. And 90% of your brain is water, which is altered by frequencies. Water. To us, it seems quite simple. But more and more people discover things about water that are quite remarkable. One of them is Dr. Masaru Emoto, a water researcher from Japan. He wondered if water, just like snowflakes do, would make ice crystals. He began to freeze water for three hours by a temperature of minus 20 degrees Celsius and photographed them under a microscope. Beautiful structured ice crystals appeared, and they even appeared to be all different depending from which water they were taken. But the most revolutionary discovery was done as water was exposed to music. Water exposed to music showed beautiful crystals. But what does this prove? At least it confirms the statement of Einstein that everything is energy. And it seems that the French scientist Jacques Benavista was right when he suggested that water has a memory. But does this discovery, due to the fact that we consist for 70% of water, has any significance for us in daily life? Does this mean that we create our own reality by the way we speak and think because it is all vibration? question is that in fact you say mm. we are the creators of our own lives because we create our own life mm. by the way we think by the way we speak yes. because it is all a vibration mm -hmm. that has an effect on the reality that we create what would you like to say to people who really are mad about this because they say well i look at my life and my life is really bad and now you are saying that I all I did it myself. What would you like to say to those people? They should study about what is resonance. Resonance. Tell me about yes. resonance. Yes, uh, resonance. If I have, uh, you know, um, this uh, here uh, tuning hog. Yeah? Yes. Uh, like uh, whole hundred whole hairs tuning yes. hog. And if I uh, generate the sound of la, yes. yeah, la, yeah, I could give uh, energy uh, to the uh, that steel again, you know, yes, because it began to vibrate, right? Okay? Yes, it began to start. Okay, so vibration is life, you know. And giving uh, life is giving love. I think so. So you can give, uh, you know, uh, love to anyone, everything of this planet because you can generate every sun, every node. If you are not out of order, <laughs> it is that uh, um, everybody uh, can meet and can encounter with uh, a nice person who has a, a resonance vibration with you. Okay. Yeah, don't uh, give up. So, Dr. Emoto, we talked about that, in fact, everything is energy. 
So everything in universe has vibration, mm-hmm. like words mm-hmm. and thoughts. Mm-hmm. So what about like a package of cigarettes? We have these words like smoking kills. <sighs> what would you like to say about that? <clears throat> This is so bad, you know? It's, uh, I think, a design for uh, killing people. Not from cigarettes, but what itself has the energy of killing people. Smoking is uh, bad for our health, you know. But I don't think so. Uh, I main, main cause uh, from, uh, to be sick uh, from Uh, stress, mm. uh, negative mind of ourselves. So, this, these words uh, make me sick. So, uh, it would be better actually that to put another word on the packages. Yes, like, yes, yes. yes, 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 yes. Be wise while drinking water. We, it would be better to drink water with words written on it every day, like Love and gratitude. Yes, yes, yes. yes. I, I, I'm recommending that uh, to all the people of the world. Yes. Yes. Because that is uh, not expensive. No. Mm, just writing. It's actually for free. <laughs> for free. Yes, yes. yes. So, water would be one of the most important things to focus on now? Of course. Yes, water is everything. Yeah. And I think this is a final chance of a human being to be able to stay this planet. Mm. So, uh, if this time we cannot resonate with water, our human being future uh, in this planet mm, will dissolve. Dissolve. To avoid the human being dissolving from this planet, Dr. Emoto has set his hope on a new generation. This is why he wrote a book for children with the message of water, to be given free to all the children of the world. This book can be downloaded from the site thankwater.net. Although the pictures are beautiful, the question remains, is it science? This is not science. Oh, right. Yeah, they so say. they see actually your research for the water, they don't see it as real science. Mm-hmm. Because think about that. Yes, How do you feel um, about that? Yes, because uh, as long as science needs a double-blind system, uh, no new science appeared. Right. Yeah, because, you know, uh, we have two eyes. Why? We need to, you know, to be double-blind. Yeah. Right. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, uh, everything is vibration. Yeah. And my vibration is moving. Yeah. Uh, one second. Well, one uh, 0.1 second. 0.001 second. Moving. So it is impossible uh, to get the uh, uh, same, you know, result. Yeah. Right. Yes. So you would say it's not static. It's a di- dynamic process. Yes. So in that way. Scientists would say, well, this is not for real because 
it doesn't have always the same result. Yeah, right. yes. If uh, we have to accept their theory, yes. that means uh, we cannot uh, progress. Not convinced? Very good. Experience is still the best teacher. So do the RISE experiment yourself to see if your words or thoughts can create an outcome. So this is the experiment. You take three jars. On the first jar you write, I love you. You leave the second blank and on the third jar you write, I hate you. Then you fill them all with boiled rice. You pour tap water on them and then you close the lids. You put them on the same place, but with a distance of 30 centimeters away from each other. Then this is the procedure. Every day you say to jar one, I love you. To jar three, I hate you. And you ignore the blank one totally. Repeat this procedure every day and you will be amazed after a month by the result. Please share your experiences with us on the website of newtide.tv. So, so that was uh, what he has been saying, that memory is within water. And there's a, another um, video that has pretty much oops, that has pictures that I would like you to watch for those of you that are uh, watching this on video, either that be YouTube, Twitch, DLive. But uh, the water that we drink has memory, where it comes from, who packed it, how they were feeling when they were packing it, where it's sitting in your house. And so emotions emit frequencies. Uh, you know, they emit frequencies and uh, they can change how they look. So water frozen with love and gratitude you know, when frozen, looks like an amazing ice crystal. That, with evil and hate, looks dark, looks broken, looks discombobulated and in full chaos. Uh, disgust, chaos. Everything looks chaotic when the vibrations are low. Whereas when you're thankful, when you're grateful, when you show gratitude, when you feel love, it's all beautiful. So this circles back to yesterday's um, show where I introduce you to the concept of such immense love from, you know, this is a mythical, but such immense love of the creator that he was willing to create a woman in his image in order to awaken the people that were being mesmerized by Prometheus, which many have said that he was a hero. He was not. The hero is the person that had so much love that they didn't give just the good parts of the animal in that description of we're going to cut the calf in half. And he gave all the bad parts back to Zeus and gave all the good cuts to the people. You can't have a whole calf and, 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 and see it without its entirety. And the ultimate act of love is to provide all parts of the calf, to provide all the knowledge you can, 
That is how you show someone love, by giving them the tools and hoping that they will use them the way they were intended to be used, with gratitude and love for themselves, which in turn is that of their creator. And to see how different that kind of love is. So to end this, I found a, um, a uh, video by a channel called Video Advice. And I think this would be the great way to top, to top off, end off, cap off our frequency discussion. Our frequency discussion. So take a listen to this. And, you know, for those of you that listen on the podcast, since you can't see, it's always great to reduce the stimuli you have. I don't know if you guys do that, but I do that too. I close my eyes when I listen to people talk. People that I can listen to. Because there's a lot of people that have great messages, but I just can't hear them because their voice is interpreted as cacophony. Why? Because you can detect deception. You can detect love. You can detect sincerity. Hence why people don't like listening to Pelosi. The magic frequency. And we start with 100 hertz, and we look through the microscope to see if anything's happening. We watch for five minutes. Nothing happens. We try hundreds and hundreds of frequencies, if not thousands, until we find the magic combination. Because we believed there just had to be a better way. There had to be a better way. We think we may have found it. I have here two identical tuning forks, both tuned to the note A, the note an orchestra tunes to. These forks are both made to vibrate 440 times per second. We say their frequency is 440 hertz. If I tap this fork, putting little pulses of energy into it, the second fork will also vibrate in sympathy. And if I silence this fork, we just may, may hear the other singing its tone. We say that I'm inducing a sympathetic resonant vibration in the second fork. It only works because both forks are tuned to the exact same frequency. Now many of us have seen this very charming young man on the internet who shatters crystal glasses with his powerful voice. But if you watch him carefully, you'll see that first he taps the glass with his finger and listens. The glass sings its natural resonant pitch. Then he takes a deep breath and sings a loud, long note. He induces a resonant vibration in the crystal glass. The vibration grows larger and larger and larger until the glass is shattered. On the other end of the scale, we have a giant bridge made out of concrete and steel, a suspension bridge, the Tacoma Narrows Bridge. Cars and trucks and buses are going over it every day. And unfortunately, where they built this bridge, there was a steady wind blowing across it. And one day, this wind induces a small vibration in the bridge, hardly noticeable. But the frequency of the vibration matches the resonant frequency of some part of the bridge. 
and the vibration gets larger and larger and larger until the bridge collapses into the river below. A destructive resonant frequency. So on one end of the scale, we have a giant concrete and steel bridge destroyed by resonance. And on the other, we have a small crystal glass shattered. So maybe we could shatter something even smaller, something really small, something you would need a microscope to see. Maybe we could shatter a living microorganism. So maybe we could change a biological living liquid crystal with a special electronic signal. But in order to do that, you would need some kind of device. So we search the US patent database, and we find this invention by a physician, Dr. James Bear of Albuquerque, New Mexico. It's called a resonant frequency therapy device, and its purpose is to induce a resonant vibration in a living organism or cell. If I put in, say, 100 hertz, out will come 100 pulses per second. If I put in 200 hertz, we'll get 200 pulses. So now we're searching for the magic frequency. And we start with 100 hertz, and we look through the microscope to see if anything's happening. We watch for five minutes. Nothing happens. So we try 101 hertz. We look through the scope for five minutes. And nothing happens. So we try 102, 103, and so on. Over the course of 15 months, we try hundreds and hundreds of frequencies, if not thousands, until we find the magic combination. The answer is you have to have two input frequencies, one low, one high, and the higher frequency must be 11 times the lower. It's what we musicians would call the 11th harmonic. When we add the 11th harmonic, we begin to shatter microorganisms like a crystal glass. These are the first videos taken. We showed these videos to our friends in the biology department. They said they hadn't seen anything quite like it. Seems to be a new phenomenon. These organisms are being shattered by our electronic signals. We now know that cancer is vulnerable between the frequencies of 100,000 hertz and 300,000 hertz. So now we attack leukemia cells. Leukemia cell number one tries to grow a copy of itself, but the new cell is shattered into dozens of fragments and scattered across the slide. Leukemia cell number two then hyperinflates and also dies. Leukemia cell number three then tries to make another cancer cell. The new cell is shattered and the original cell dies. So even Nikola Tesla, who everyone ripped off, who is not of this world, came and told you, if you want to know, think of life, think of everything in frequency and vibration, something that I have been putting out. So when you see that picture of President Trump hugging the flag, when he smiles and when he winks and when he speaks, what is the frequency you feel? How does it make you feel when you see that? See, memes are very effective for that reason, because they are words in picture format. So I want you to think of it like this. If we have already found answers to eradicate biological 
matter, to destroy it. In order to heal, do you not believe that the same has been created to destroy or to alter? See, the one thing that we have been saying on Tori Says for a very long time is, don't listen to what everybody says. Break out of the group thing. There is nothing to fear. You are your own hero. And in this great time of disappointment, because, oh dear, you've been disappointed by almost everyone. You had expectations from almost everyone, and they have broken every single excuse that you have made for them. I want you to remember that this year, last year was the year of the boomerang. They created something that was intended for evil and we threw it right back in their face. And you're going to say, how, Tori? We lost our business. We can't make money. Uh, we're all locked in our homes. Huh? What? That's what you see? Let me give you some perspective in a recap of this year. They showed their true faith coming out of the gate with the new year with an impeachment that failed so hard that at the State of the Union, Pelosi was ripping up a document which is indeed considered a crime. After that, even though news came out that their plan was going ahead, where they were going to resonate everyone on a frequency of fear of an invisible enemy that is none other than globalism. It is not a virus. No, no virus can cause you any harm. None. So as you move it along through the year, they're convincing you in February that it's racist to say that China released the virus. It's racist to think that you can't go into groups into Chinatown. And then they changed and flipped the script. Suddenly, we needed a shutdown. Suddenly, we needed to shut down the economy. Suddenly, everyone was channeling Andrew Yang for UBI. Suddenly, everyone was on their knees begging them for crumbs that they refused to throw at the people unless, unless they could profit. And so they did with the CARES Act, every single hospital, doctor, and nurse that said that they saw someone with COVID or someone died with COVID were rewarded with over $100,000 per incident. People didn't go to work. Things shut down. People got fat. And the nurses, aside from anything, the nurses and the doctors all complied. All of them complied with a very few amount that did not. Social media complied. The global companies, Walmart, Amazon, the media, all of them profited off of your pain and being locked down. What did that do? That's pain, Tori. No, it's not. It's you seeing exactly what's going on. Now stand up from January 1st and look at the year in reverse and look at that growth you've got. Now you understand how it came back as a boomerang. Now you understand how nothing can stop what's coming. And now you understand how important it is hmm, that you don't live in an echo chamber. You create your own. You push it out. You push the message. That's what you have to do. And you have to stand firm. Because there are many of you, Ma, I see 5,700 people live right now. I think YouTube knocked over the video, so maybe it's stuck with those 2,000 people. But I want you to understand that more than 75% of you will retreat. You will say, I can't. I really need this. I can't. I really need that. I will be in the same 
place you are in this reality. I'm here and I've got almost seven more to go, seven more years to go to get this done. And I'm telling you, we're in the same boat message. I'm with her. He's with us. I'm with her. He's with us. You understand how words are there. You understand how important it is to stand firm. And do you understand now how important it is to vibrate on that frequency? Because I see a lot of you that follow me, that watch my show, and I still get comments like, but no one's doing anything. Dude, you want two presidents? Kenya survived. All these other nations survived. Damn. And we've got the guns. You better make sure we'll survive. They will only, from January 6th, after January 6th, count down 45 days. You will see by February 21st to 23rd just how awesome it is. And I'm giving myself a standard deviation of two days, plus or minus two days, from February 21st. And you will see how it all comes to. You will see how many people are standing up, how many people are firm, how many people don't want to hear it, how many people have tuned out. I mean, even the left is like, damn. Well, for the ones that understand how vibrations go, and for those that are Bible thumpers like Graham, who congratulated Biden, tells you everything you need to know. Words are simply words, right? No, they're power. And for someone that reads the Bible every single day, which gives a message of love and unity, tells me they're not reading it every day. Words, words, words. Well, how do we make them? We spell them. So it's very important to understand that everything you hear, everything you say has an impact. And we are all connected, this whole nation. So before a new America arises, let's quash it before it happens. Because they will do it. And they will offer you the world to join it. Where is that second White House? Well, I'm pretty sure it's in Michigan. Anybody got any ideas? Um, so. 2021, this is the time that you put that cape on. So 2019 was an enlightening year. It was the year of providing light. 2020 was boomeranging. What they intended for evil, and no, don't get me wrong, they successfully did it globally. Came back to bite them in the ass in the end, didn't it? Full circle. And now, huh, it's 2021. This is where the heroes rise. And that's every single one of you. It's always in a time of sorrow and pain. And I want you to know, again, because always my New Year's Eve and New Year's Day go hand in hand. Giving someone knowledge is the most biggest act of love there is. But with much knowledge comes much sorrow. And those that know find it hard to sleep. But they should find solace in the fact that they do know, and they do know that those things that cause pain and harm <laughs> pale in comparison to all those things that are so good and loving. This is how you get into that awakening phase and become that hero. This is 
the year that we expand. What is to come will be so devastating. So many disappointments. I can't urge that enough. But through disappointment and despair is where the hero rises. Like a phoenix through the ashes. Just like Pandora was made. From ashes, she arose. Remember that. It was from ashes she arose that he created that from the earth in his image that was burnt to a crisp. And forests, when they burn, there's always an anew at the end of it. So as the world is on fire, because we've set it on fire, it's important to remember just how you were the fire starter. It was intended to be so. Therefore, the land is more fruitful. So this year will be indeed the land of confusion. My favorite song. Indeed, the land of confusion for all of us. Until we decide not to be confused and see it for what it is. Because we're the ones that don't want to look in the mirror. We're the ones that don't want to accept responsibility. So remember to use your words correctly. It doesn't mean don't curse, right? I love the word fuck more than anyone else. It's how you say it and the energy behind it. So remember, people that curse a lot are usually geniuses. So all of you guys are super geniuses. On that note, I want to wish you a very happy and healthy year. For those of you celebrating a year now as a new one. And I want you to remember that today the president said something goes in effect. January 1st, 2021. What's that? What's that? Lots of theories. What's that? Stay true to yourself and trust your gut. If anything, when everything else fails you, you must trust your godly, hard-written software, which is your molecular software that can never lie to you because you have no power over that software. It is hard, chiseled into you. He created it. Remember that. So nobody can change that. So always follow your gut. Your brain, your brain has been trained to enslave you. Your higher processes deceive you because you process information there with the reality construct you have been provided. So even though it's the most incredible quantum computer, you're the one at the clickety-clack keyboard and the mouse. And if someone's telling you triangle has 180 degrees only, you're going to be clickety-clacking that brain with only that statement. You're not going to be open to others. Therefore, trust the computer software, your OS software, that allows you to clickety-clack more than your clickety-clacking. God bless everyone.